the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Promo code Mike. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, we're coming to a deeper understanding of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus is about to fulfill the Old Testament, and he's about to enter into the city of David. And while he will, in God's providence and good time, bring peace to Jerusalem and peace to Israel, he must first establish peace with God by removing the obstacle of sin by means of his death. how hard we try to live by a plan, unforeseen circumstances are bound to arise to change our course and reorder our priorities. But today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy points us to Scripture to remind us that God is never caught by surprise. We're taking an in-depth look at Jesus' final week on earth when he enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. It's a message titled, Quite an Entrance. Here's Philip DeCourcy now. Mark chapter 11. We're back into Mark's gospel. Mark has been getting us ready for Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And here we are in his triumphal entry. If you've been following, tension has been building within this gospel. As far back as chapter 8, verse 27, through to chapter 10, verse 52, Mark has been getting us ready for Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And what you've got in what follows is many events compressed into the last week of Jesus' life. This is verses 2 through 6. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. They basically said, Hey, we were sent by Jesus of Nazareth. The Lord has need of it. And they give up the fight and said, Hey, take it. And they brought the colt to him. So we have looked at what we might call a focus. Now we're looking at what we might call a foresight. I'm not spending a lot of time here. It's pretty simple. My point is this, that Jesus is in complete control of the circumstances. I believe it's with supernatural knowledge that he sends his disciples to Bethpage and he tells them where a colt can be found. And they'd find it exactly where he said and they'd bring it back to him. It was a special colt upon which no one had sat. Is that important? I think so. Although Mark doesn't make this point. You go back into the Old Testament, you'll find that kings rode on animals that would never been ridden on before. 
So you look at this situation. Jesus clearly, deliberately intended to enter Jerusalem on a young colt that had never been written on as a messianic act in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9. And there's a pastoral point, and we'll move on. You're not in any circumstances today that are not under his control. So folks, listen, whatever circumstances you're in, accept them as from him. Shall we not receive good and shall we not receive adversity from the Lord? Is not Job's argument? Give God time to make sense of them because he'll make everything beautiful in his time and learn the lessons that God wants you to learn in them. Don't become a victim of your circumstances. Be a student of God's providence and purposes in them. Accept them as from God. Give God time to make sense of them and learn good lessons regardless of what they are. In fact, my friend Ray Pritchard, who's written a wonderful book called Man of Honor, in it he talks about a man by the name of Jim Warren who had a ministry on the Moody Broadcasting Network. And as Ray was listening to him one day, this guy said something deceptively simple that ended up changing Ray's life. And in this broadcast he said, when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. It's a very good piece of wisdom. And Ray Pritchard took that, meditated on it, reflected on it, and he wrote some things to himself. A victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this? Are you a victim or a student of your circumstances? A victim blames others for his problems. A student asks, how much of this did I bring on myself? Are you a victim or a student? A victim looks at everybody and else and cries, life isn't fair. A student looks at life and said, what happened to me could have happened to anybody. A victim believes that hard times have come because God is trying to punish him. A student understands that God allows hard times to help him grow. A victim begs God to remove all the problems of life so he can be happy. A student has learned from the problems of life that God alone is the source of true happiness. That's challenging. Are we victims or students in the midst of our circumstances? And Jesus would remind us that he's in complete control of our circumstances. So don't invite everybody to your pity party. Don't spend time moping in life. Ask for faith to count it a joy. Ask for patience to give God time to work some of it together for good. Be a student, not a victim. Jesus was no victim of his circumstances. He was a student of Scripture, and he lived and died by the Bible. Which brings us to our third thought. We've got a focus in verse 1. We've got a foresight in verses 2 through 6. And then we've got what we may call a fulfillment. A fulfillment in verses 7 through 10. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then in verse 11, we've got this kind of setup where Jesus, having entered the city, goes and looks at the temple, doesn't like what he sees, and indeed intends to cleanse it the next day. But the hour is late, so it goes back to Bethany with the 12. But this last thought, as we kind of wrap up, a fulfillment. You see, up until this point, Jesus has kind of censored his disciples, 
those who have been the recipient of his miraculous healing powers and even demons, he has censored them from letting the word go out that what they have encountered in Jesus Christ is both the profile of the Messiah and the power of the Messiah. And Jesus has indeed censored that because he wants to unveil his Messiahship at the right time in the right way with the right focus. In fact, we remember from the feeding of the 5,000 and John's account in John 6 that the people immediately wanted to make him king. They liked this thought of free food. They liked this thought of miraculous power. They liked the thought, you know what? Jesus can bring us to that place where we live happily ever after. So let's make him king. And Jesus was concerned that their ideas of the kingdom and their views of the kingdom was limited and lopsided. Yes, he was the Davidic figure. Yes, he was the promised one who would bring prosperity to Israel. But he wasn't just the conquering king. He was the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the people. You see, this kingdom would first be established by the death of the king, not the death of the enemies of the king. And so Jesus is about to fulfill the Old Testament. And he's about to enter into the city of David. And I just want to underscore that fact because as we've already noted, three times he has made his disciples aware and the followers of his followers aware that Jerusalem is a city of destiny. He will die there and life will come out of his death. And while he will, in God's providence and good time, bring peace to Jerusalem and peace to Israel, he must first establish peace with God by removing the obstacle of sin by means of his death. And we're about to see that because while we call this the triumphal entry, in many ways it's untriumphal. The Jewish leaders aren't saying Hosanna. More than likely, it's pilgrims who have come up from other regions for Passover. It's his own disciples. It's those who have witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus in John 12. And it's certainly made up of those who have followed him along the road to Jerusalem. But since he won't dance to their tune, since his focus is on peace with God, the breaking of the dominion of sin in each of our lives, rather than the breaking of the dominion of Roman authority within Israel, the people will begin to peter away. And what seems rather remarkable will become rather unremarkable. And before the week's done, he'll be crucified. But here's the part I want to get back to and wrap this thing up. It's what I call the fulfillment. We've looked at the focus. We've looked at the foresight. And now we look at the fulfillment. Jesus fulfills several Old Testament scriptures. But the thing I want you to bear in mind from a prophetic sense and in a practical sense is this, that Jesus died and lived by the Bible. Just write that little phrase down. Jesus lived and died by the Bible. You can account for his life by how it accords to the Word of God. All the events of his life are fulfillments of what has been promised concerning the Messiah. Let me give you the two or three that stand out in our passage, and then I'll scoot over to Luke to show you another one. We've already referenced Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. That's a fulfillment. We see it here. Jesus comes riding on a donkey that's never been ridden on. He's not on a war horse. He's on a donkey. He comes as the Prince of Peace. There's not a lot of pageantry, although there are some who are crying Hosanna, and there are some who are laying down their clothes. The majority of Jerusalem is ignoring this, and within a day or two, it'll seem like it never happened. 
But there is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9. In fact, John 12, 14 to 15, recognizes that fact. Then when Jesus enters the city, we see that the people cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. I'll go back there for you. It's a psalm, and we read the prayer of the psalmist. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. It'd be a long time before that was fully answered, but now it's been fully answered here in the season of Passover. Jesus is entering the city. Those are two specific verses fulfilled in this passage. I would add a third. This will take us outside of Mark. Go over to Luke chapter 19. Jesus has entered the city. You can read that in verse 28 of Luke 19. But it's interesting, as he enters the city, as the people cry out, we read that as he drew near, he wept. Mark doesn't tell us that. But as Jesus was entering the city, and the people are indeed welcoming him with adoration and acclamation, he weeps. Notice what he says in verse 42 of Luke 19. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, he knows that this adoration is short-lived. I think he's also perceiving that their understanding of the kingdom is political rather than spiritual. There will be a kingdom, and there will be prosperity for Israel, but it entails the death of the king who will be wounded for our transgressions, according to Isaiah 53, whose hands will be pierced, according to Psalm 22, who will open up a fountain of cleansing in Israel, according to Zechariah 12 through 14. And they're missing it. And Jesus knows it, and his heart breaks. In fact, scroll down to verse 44, as he speaks about the desolation of Jerusalem, anticipating the desolation of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Notice what he says, because that day will come because you did not know the time of your visitation. What's Jesus referring to there? I would make an argument that he's referring to something in Daniel. This is one of the most brilliant prophecies of the Old Testament, often overlooked. It deserves not only a sermon, but a series. But hopefully I won't mess it up enough to give you an interest. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, we read, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city. That's Daniel and his people, Israel, and the holy city, Jerusalem. And if you want to chart God's plan for Israel and the city of Jerusalem, it will stretch over a period of 70 weeks. Now, not to lose you, those are weeks of years. And when you add it all up, those 70 weeks of years are 490 years. But here's what's interesting concerning the people and the city. God intends to finish the transgression, to make an end of the sins, to make reconciliation, to bring about everlasting righteousness. Look at verse 25 of Daniel 9. Know therefore and understand that from the time of the decree for Jerusalem to be rebuilt until the Messiah comes and the Messiah is cut off, it's 69 weeks. Those are weeks of years. So of the 70 weeks, 69 of them will begin with the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the time the Messiah comes and is cut off. And then there's a week that remains. And most prophetic scholars believe that week, that seven-year period, lies ahead. 
When the Antichrist will make a peace agreement with Israel, you can read about it, and he will indeed break that agreement in the middle of that seven-year period. But I want you to notice that there seems to be this prophecy that, you know what? When the Messiah comes, you'll know when he comes. It'll be at the end of 69 weeks, 483 years. And if you want to chart it, it will begin with the restoration of Jerusalem. And you know what? Men like Harold Honer of Dallas Seminary, men as great as Sir Robert Anderson, the former head of Scotland Yard, have written on Daniel's prophecy. And here's basically what they're saying. In March 5th, 444 B.C., Artaxerxes decreed the rebuilding of the city. And 69 weeks later, 483 years later, we have the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ on March the 30th, A.D. 33, into Jerusalem, when the Messiah will come. I think Jesus is thinking about that in Luke 19 when he says, you don't recognize the day of your visitation. You were told by Daniel the very year I would enter the city. And then Daniel goes on to say how the Messiah will be cut off, killed. That's about to happen. What's my point? This is just another example of the supernatural nature of Scripture. This is no mere book of religious reflection. This is inspired and authored by the God of history and the Lord of eternity. And he has told us about the Christ figure who would come. And here we watch the Lord Jesus enter the city of Jerusalem at a specific time and a specific year, according to Zechariah 9, 9, according to Psalm 118, 22, 27, and according to Daniel 9, 24 to 27. You can trust this book. And you need to trust the one that tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ to give his life a ransom for many who died on the cross that we may be made right with God. You can trust in the inspiration and veracity of Scripture. You can build your family in this book. You can find your purpose for living in this book. You can find a relationship with God in this book. You will be given promises of heaven and an eternal existence of joy in this book. You can trust it because it is prophesied and it has fulfilled those prophecies. In fact, John Wolverd of Dallas Seminary said there were a thousand prophecies that can be found in God's Word, and already 500 of them have been fulfilled. And you know what? The Bible's got a clean sheet when it comes to fulfillment of promises. That's why, by the way, you need to study prophecy. It's good for you. It's good for the way you'll live. It'll give you a sense of God's sovereignty over history, past, present, and future. And it will give you a confidence in God's Word. Jesus fulfills so many prophecies in his first coming. And you know what? He's going to fulfill a whole other cadre of them in his second coming. And you and I can be sure of it. You and I can have a confidence in the Bible. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, it's very difficult to prophesy, especially about the future. Well, I, you know, I didn't think there was any other kind of prophecy, but I guess, you know what, there may be. But if you're going to prophesy about the future, that's a difficult task. But the Bible prophesies, it's got a clean sheet with the ancient prophecies that have come true, prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his first coming, which gives us great hope for the promise of his second coming. Men get it wrong all the time. They don't see the use of the internet. They tell us that we'll never get into space. Somebody told Elvis he should just drive a truck because he's got no voice. We get it wrong all the time. In fact, I remember a story in Northern Ireland about a shop that was used by a psychic, you know, to tell people their future and all of that, and it closed down and got boarded up. 
And some wag in Northern Ireland went by it and wrote on the wood that, you know, closed the shop up, closed due to unforeseen circumstances. It's often the case. You know, men don't understand. But listen, there's nothing unforeseen about these circumstances as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Or Ken Hughes is right. There is painstaking premeditation because Jesus is the son of David. He's Israel's king. He's David's king. And he claims you as his own, just like he claimed that donkey. The Lord has need of it. He claims your life. It's not your life to live according to your will and your agenda. It's your life to live for his glory. And I can tell you it's the best decision you'll ever make. Our fascination with kings and queens is simply an echo of the fact we were made to enjoy a greater king who we have left and whose kingdom we have fought. Make peace with God through the one who brought peace. He was the prince of peace riding on a donkey. He wasn't on a war horse. That's for the second coming. This is a time of peace. This is a time of visitation. Don't miss your day of visitation. Trust him today. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. This is the focus, his death. We agree with Paul that we are determined to know nothing among us but Christ and him crucified. Help us to be students of our circumstances and the providence of God within them, not victims. And oh God, give us a trust in your word and its promises and its prophecies. Jesus lived and died by the Bible. May we do that also. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a comfort to know that God can turn evil for good. His plans can never be overturned. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. The message is titled, Quite an Entrance. Visit ktt.org and listen to any programs you might have missed in our current series titled, Essential Jesus. Well, Philip, we're glad to have you with us in the studio now with some exciting news about the recent growth and impact of Know the Truth. Thanks, Wayne. I'm, I'm frankly overjoyed to share with our listeners what God is doing through this ministry, Know the Truth. And we're so thankful, too, for our, the support of faithful listeners. You know, we have a seven-year history. And as I look back, um, I'm a spectator to all that God is doing. We've seen tremendous growth. It's hard to believe now, Wayne, that we're on close to 600 stations with a potential audience, wait for it, of more than 175 million people. So our net gets spread uh, pretty widely, and we're reaching more listeners each and every day. We're meeting needs. Lives are being changed by God's truth. Uh, the verse that drives this ministry is Johnny at 32. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And people are finding freedom. Freedom from uh, uh, sin's dominion, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from anxiety. And we're just overjoyed at what God is doing and uh, the support that we're getting from our audience. And we're looking forward to the next season in this ministry. In fact, this past year has been a a year of historic opportunity. We have uh, expanded uh, a great measure. We've been given new platforms for the ministry. And therefore, I want to put a call out to our listeners today. Um, For those that have supported us, thank you. But for those that are listening, and perhaps God would lay it on your heart to come alongside us and partner with us financially. We would really appreciate that. We need your urgent help. Uh, We're moving ahead. We don't want to look back. We need others to come alongside us and support us both prayerfully and also financially. And if you're willing to do that, and I hope you are, uh, please go to our website, 
uh, give us a call uh, today here at KTT and pledge your support. We will be deeply grateful and people will be eternally thankful. We sure are. Please give your donation right now by calling 888-644-8811. Or you can give online at ktt.org. And today when you give, Philip wants to send you a timely book as we get ready to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation tomorrow on October 31st. The book is titled, The Reformation Still Matters, and it's by Michael Reeves and Tim Chester. Discover how in 1517, the actions of one bold monk challenged Rome and changed the world forever. We have Martin Luther to thank for sparking a revolution that puts Bibles into our own hands and allowed for preaching in the languages of all nations. Request The Reformation Still Matters when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. That's all the time we have today. So glad you joined us. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Philip DeCourcy has more to share from the Gospel of Mark series tomorrow on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Virginia's worst criminals had their rights restored because of Ralph Northam's risky policy. Northam supported the automatic restoration of rights for violent felons and sex offenders, making it easier for them to obtain firearms and serve on juries. One of these felons was a convicted child molester. John Bowen had his rights restored two months after being found with one of the largest child pornography collections in Virginia's history. 43 prosecutors, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents opposed Ralph Northam's risky policy. Now, Virginia law enforcement is supporting Ed Gillespie for governor. Gillespie has been endorsed by 65 sheriffs, the Virginia Fraternal Order of Police, and the Virginia Police Benevolent Association. Virginia law enforcement knows that Ed Gillespie will get tough on crime and keep your family safe. Ed Gillespie, for a safer, stronger Virginia. I'm Ed Gillespie, candidate for governor, and I paid for and authorized this ad. Hello, I'm Mike Vendell, inventor of my... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.